A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Father, we, uh, we come before you. Um, we're thankful that, uh, that your presence is with us. And uh, as we, uh, we look into what uh, your word says this morning, we ask that your spirit would, uh, would open our hearts, um, that you would, uh, would move within us, um, that, uh, that in all that we do and, and see that, that we would be drawn closer to you, um, that we'd experience uh, the love and grace and joy um, that comes from following you. Um, so we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our Bible reading that we're looking at uh, this morning is from Luke 12, uh, verse 13 to 21. And you can find it on page 7, I believe, uh, in your bulletin. Or even better, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, uh, I invite you to follow along there. Uh, there's... Uh, this passage that we're reading is a short reading, but uh, there's a little bit of context around it that will help us as we try to figure out what's going on with uh, this parable. So over uh, the past few weeks, we have been looking at uh, the short passages from the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's the story of Jesus's life as recorded by a follower of Jesus named Luke. And uh, all these passages are from a larger section of Luke's gospel that starts with Jesus setting his face to go towards Jerusalem. That's uh, toward the end of Luke chapter 9. Um, and then this, this section follows his journey there, uh, Jesus along with his disciples. And so Jesus is essentially on a journey towards the place that he is going to be crucified. And as we walk with Jesus along this path, we learn a lot about what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. Immediately after Jesus sets his face to go towards Jerusalem, uh, one of the things he does is he emphasizes the high cost of being a follower of Jesus. In particular, he emphasizes that a life lived following him is not going to be one of comfort and power. That's at the end of Luke chapter 9. But if we jump ahead to uh, where we are in Luke, in Luke chapter 12, we find that Jesus isn't pulling any punches when it comes to following him. Um, he, 
tends to go right for the stuff that makes us all uncomfortable. And so right now, uh, he goes right into how discipleship impacts our possessions and our money, our, our stuff. And Jesus uh, doesn't go there because he's nosy um, or he's against the material world. He goes there, he leads us there, because what we do with our stuff is somehow connected with the health of our souls. What we do with the material world impacts our spiritual health, and our spiritual health impacts the material world. The physical world matters, the spiritual world matters, and they're interconnected. So what we have here in our passage is another parable of Jesus. Uh, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that a parable is a way of teaching that basically enhances what is already present in a person. So if you're resistant to Jesus, a parable will reinforce that resistance and maybe even cause confusion or anger. But if, you're, if you accept that Jesus is God and you're accepting or open to his call to follow him as a disciple, a parable will draw out curiosity and foster growth and understanding. And so can I invite you uh, just to be honest with wherever you're at, how you're feeling, um, and maybe even indulge your curiosity as we look into this parable. Did you know that of the 38 parables that, of Jesus that we find in the Bible, 17 of them are about possessions? And that what we possess uh, is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. Now, on the one hand, you might be thinking, why is Jesus so concerned with my stuff? Right? Doesn't he have bigger things to deal with? But on the other hand, uh, maybe, maybe Jesus uh, understood that this is just a really difficult part of our lives to yield to his direction. And so he keeps pointing us back to it. So as we look at this parable, we're going to look at how Jesus reveals our motivations. What's in our heart? What's in our soul? What is it that makes us do what we do when it comes to accumulating possessions? And so we're going to look at uh, basically three motivations that uh, ultimately will lead us to, to emptiness. And one motivation that will lead us to peace. But one, one, one caveat in all this, um, these motivations, they often coexist within us and they come into conflict with each other. We can have mixed motivations in what we do. We can be followers of Jesus and be acting in ways that are not like Jesus. So it's important to be able to sort out uh, what's in our hearts uh, when our, our desires uh, are leading us astray. So we jump into uh, to motivation number one. Our passage starts off with two brothers that are engaged in some sort of family dispute over an inheritance. We don't know many of the details here. We don't know if uh, their fathers recently died and they're settling the estate or if they're just looking ahead to the day when that will happen. It would appear that one brother is uh, getting the inheritance, uh, probably the older brother given the culture at the time, and the other brother has taken some issue with this. So they do what would uh, seem to be completely normal uh, at, uh, at the time. They take the issue to a rabbi, to a respected teacher. Um, and they ask him to settle the dispute. Um, so they go to Jesus. 
Jesus' response, uh, though, is, is kind of strange. Uh, in verse 14, Jesus says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? At first, we may think that uh, this is dismissive. But, but Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. He's drawing them in to look deeper at why they're even having this controversy in the first place. The irony is that uh, Jesus actually is the judge of us all in the end. Our parable is going to lead us in that direction. And we will all be held accountable for what we've done with all that we have on this earth. So Jesus, in a way, is waking these guys up. He's trying to get them to see that the matter at hand is even more serious than they think it is. It's of eternal importance. He goes on to say to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here we come to the first thing that uh, motivates many of us when it comes to what we own, what we want, or even what we want to pass on to our families. Covetousness. Covetousness. That, that, that's the word I don't think many of us use every day. Um, I think of it, uh, it as a, a combination of selfishness and greed. In fact, many other Bible translations use the word greed instead of covetousness here. Greed. Um, right, I see something and I want more of it. Right? I want it for myself. I don't want to share it. It's mine. Um, it doesn't matter if I need it. Right? Covetousness is focusing greed on what other people have. Right? I want my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right? Does it matter if I need it or not? Well, that's beside the point. Right? I want it. I may even think that I deserve it. And Jesus draws out the selfish aspect of covetousness through his parable. This is the parable. And, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you notice, um, did you notice how many times the rich man references himself in this parable? What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain. I will say to my soul, right, me, 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 me. Right? There's no one else in this parable until God shows up. So, so motivation one, um, covetousness, a, a combination of selfishness and greed. Uh, but motivation number two can be closely linked to motivation one, kind of intertwined with it. Motivation number two is comfort and security. We accumulate things to provide a sense of comfort and security. And we see this drawn out in this parable. The rich man has a land that is very productive. We're told it produces plentifully. In fact, it seems to have produced an unprecedented amount. He can't even fit the whole harvest of grain in his existing barns. So what does he do? Does he look around to see if anyone around him is in need? No. 
does he think about all the workers that he would have employed to help harvest such a plentiful crop? No. No, he's just thinking about himself. He's proud of himself. He even has a little conversation with himself. Soul, look how much stuff you've got. We made it. We are set for years. Early retirement. We've got to build bigger barns to fit all this. Uh, then I can just kick back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And so we see all this selfishness and greed are leading somewhere. It's feeding something deeper than just accumulating stuff. Underneath the greed and selfishness, there's the desire for comfort and security. And these things, comfort and security, uh, easily become idols in our lives. The things we replace God with and give our lives over to. Now, in one sense, comfort and security uh, are not necessarily bad things. Right? There's something good about having all your basic needs provided for and not having to worry about things like food and shelter and clothing. Right? Stuff doesn't matter. But, but it can be a really subtle shift from being contented with those things as gifts that are provided for you by God to thinking that we're entitled to these things because of our hard work or our business savvy or our social status. You see, the, the rich man in this parable is actually really rich to begin with. It was not uncommon for people to have land at this time and in this place. In fact, land back then was a sign of God's blessing on his people. I'm going all the way back to God's promise of leading Israel into the promised land. But not a lot of people owned large swaths of land with multiple barns and would have the resources to just tear down their barns and build new ones when they needed. Right? This is a different level of affluence. Jesus, in, in telling his parable, is, is deliberately emphasizing the wealth here, playing it up so that when God shows up, it actually pr hits pretty hard. Right? So there, there's this man who, who's fairly rich to begin with. He's kicking back. You know, Maybe he's at the golf club. He's got a cold drink in his hand. He's calling his assistant uh, to book a reservation at the fancy new restaurant in Midtown. Right? For many of us, this is a picture of what it looks like to have made it, right? But this, this guy leans back and God appears. And he's, God appears and he's like, you fool. Time's up. Your soul is demanded of you. Time to give an account of what you did with this fabulous wealth. Now, now fool uh, carried a different weight to it back then than, it might, than the way it, it hits us now. We, we tend to think of a fool as kind of like this simpleton, like somebody who's just bumbling around, getting into trouble because he's not too bright. But fool was a grave insult. Uh, in the Bible, it refers to someone who acts without thought or regard for God. And someone who, uh, who acts without the wisdom that entertains the possibility that judgment or destruction or accountability um, will, will happen. Now, for many of us, um, it's easy to distance ourselves from like such an over-the-top wealthy guy because not all of us have ostentatious wealth. Um, we, we might be surrounded by people like that. We might know people like that. Um, but some of us may be like, well, that's just not me. But, but if we look, even if we look at the parable, we, we, we don't actually know how wealthy these brothers were that were squabbling over their inheritance. Um, and and when, when we think about it with, with ourselves, we all have things that we latch onto that give us comfort and security and hope. 
Right. We all have things that it's easier for us to spend money on or to hold on to, things that we value. But part of Jesus' point is that it actually doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Um, we're all at risk of being directed by these motivations. And when we're directed by these motivations, um, we can actually find um, really deceptive and innovative ways to be selfish and secure comfort. But, and a question that comes of all of this is, is what are we doing with whatever it is that we possess? Now, there's yet another level of motivation that lies even deeper than this, right? Deeper than selfishness and greed, deeper than comfort and security, right? as if you're not um, uncomfortable enough as it is. But to get to this next level of motivation, uh, we gotta look at the wider context of our passage. Uh, the couple chapters leading into this parable, but even more so the verses that are immediately following the parable. Um, and and in, in these verses that just follow this parable um, in Luke, there's a couple of words that pop up repeatedly that don't really occur very often in, in the whole rest of Luke's gospel. So I'm going to read this part. Um, it's, not, it's not in your bulletin, but uh, if you have your Bible there, you can follow along. But as I'm reading it, uh, Luke 12, 22 to 34, as I'm reading it, um, see if you can pick out um, what it is uh, that, that, that's repeated here, that, that, that pops up. And he said to his disciples, that's Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, so did you catch it? Um, what was repeated there? One, one was a little more obvious than the other one. Um, one was anxiety, right? Anxiety keeps popping up. The other one was a little more subtle. Um, it's worry or fear. Um, that's something that, uh, that leads up into this passage and leads out. So anxiety and fear. Now, anxiety and fear are not necessarily bad things, right? They're emotions, and, and, and an emotionally healthy human being experiences those things. They're emotions that alert us to the fact that something's not right, that there might be danger. But anxiety and fear can easily become all-consuming 
and end up being present with us in everything. Alleviating anxiety and fear can become the motivating factors in our life. Often buried deep down, uh, covered over with our professions, with our homes, our vacations, our addictions, our constant need for new experiences. Buried deep down below those lies a deep discontent. I, I find this in my own life. Um, I can be uh, an anxious person, and if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. Um, recently, uh, we, we took a trip to Canada, to Calgary, uh, which is where I grew up. Uh, and I had, I think, some understandable anxiety um, having we hadn't flown internationally for, for a long time, especially with the pandemic ongoing. And we had to fly through Toronto, uh, which uh, the baggage there is an epic mess. Um, it's like international headlines. Um, so I had some anxiety about that. But, but I had, I think, a deeper anxiety within me. Um, we were going to Calgary to see family, but we were also going to go deal with a bunch of stuff that we had stored at my parents' place. Um, years ago, uh, when, when we moved back to New York City, uh, we had some stuff stored there, thinking um, we'd have it shipped down, but there's a series of unforeseen circumstances uh, happened and we weren't able to do so, so there's been some stuff that's been sitting there for a while. Um, and so now, um, years later, we needed to deal with it, and so um, we, we ended up, uh, we, we were trying to go for actually a couple of years, but with the pandemic, it was just, it wasn't happening. So have this stuff, right, it's there, I know I need to deal with it. Um, so we got there and we spent a few days going through our stuff. Um, and. Uh, and um, I didn't realize how much I had accumulated that I really didn't need. Um, but I'd held on to it just in case. Um, and yet, um, there's, there's stuff there that even though I determined I didn't really need it, um, still really hard to get rid of. Um, and I felt a bit of that anxiety building up, like, yeah, may, uh, should, I, should I give this away? Uh, I haven't worn that in 10 years, but, but maybe, maybe next week it'll be cold. Um, now, our culture, our culture cultivates anxiety in us, doesn't it? Think about the algorithms built into social media, right? They're all about bringing before us things that we didn't even know we might need. There's advertising, right? There's a constant need for the economy to grow. Um, there's the fear of missing out on the latest trend or the new experience or the upgraded model of your phone or iPad or whatever uh, gizmo you like. Um, even right now, like there's a fear of a recession settling in, right? Like, like there's anxiety just seems to be everywhere. And this anxiety can lead us to seeking comfort in stuff and indulging greed. And there's a million products available to alleviate that feeling, at least temporarily. So, finally, um, we have these, all these motivations. Um, what, what is the motivation that can counter our anxiety, that frees us from greed, um, that cultivates a generous soul so that you don't wake up one day with God calling you a fool for all your hard work? So motivation number four, um, this one's kind of snuck right in at the end of our passage. Um, it's, it's being rich towards God. Now that's an odd phrase, isn't it? Um, what does that mean? 
Well, I think we get a hint of that at the end of the, the passage that I read aloud to you, Luke 12, um, 34. Um, Luke 12, 34 ends with, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? What is it that we treasure? Right? What is it that we set our hearts on? What do we worry about? What, do, what causes our deep anxiety? Can I suggest that we were made to be dependent on something? Or rather, we were made to be dependent on someone to meet our deepest needs. And when that's absent in our lives, we turn to whatever we can. When we meet Jesus, uh, he does something to our motivations. We realize that at the core of our being, there's a deep emptiness. There's an insatiable hunger or need for something to complete us that nothing else seems to fill. Nothing except Jesus' presence. It's what we're made for. And it's in this, this conflict with our other, this is in conflict with our other emo, motivations. Um, have you felt that struggle? This is what Jesus is getting at when he turns to his disciples and he repeatedly encourages them to not be anxious. Right? It's not simply quit being anxious, get it together, just quit being anxious. No, it's that you don't need to be anxious. Why? Well, it's because of who God is, right? God, we were singing about the goodness of God just before, before this. Um, God is someone who cares for the most basic of things. What you will eat, what you will wear, and even for what seems to be insignificant in the grand scheme of things, the lilies and the grass and the ravens. And Jesus says that we are of much more value than the birds. What we treasure focuses our hearts. It directs our desires. And when our focus is turned to Jesus, we find that he gives us enough. Right? Jesus is enough because he is the source of all good things and through him God is pleased to give us all that we need. But we need to come to him and not chase after the other things that allure us. And we may find that we don't actually need all those other things. So what are you chasing after right now? Okay. You might just find that what you're really looking for is Jesus. As, as, as we come to an end, um, can I share just one, one story with you, um, a story of God's provision? Um, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that when we moved to the city uh, a number of years ago, uh, things didn't really go as planned, um, hence why we had a bunch of stuff stored away in my parents' basement in Canada. Um, Job that had lined up didn't work out. Um, we were struggling. Um, we were struggling to make ends meet. Um, and, uh, and there was one month, it came to the end of the month, uh, rent was due, and I looked at the bank account, and, uh, and we were short. Um, so all kinds of questions were popping into my head, right? Questions about whether God had really called us to return to live in the city here. Um, we have kids, you know, there's questions about God's faithfulness. There's all that kind of stuff. And all I was really left with was praying to God to provide for us. Um, well, uh, the next day I, I went out uh, and I checked the mail and there was a letter from some friends. Um, so we opened up the letter, uh, there's a note in it and there's a check. Um, this person had bought one of my wife's books and was sending payment, but in the note 
she said she felt God was leading her to give us um, more than maybe just the amount for the book. Um, well, that amount turned out to be just enough to cover rent that was due. We had 34 cents left over. Um, and the rest of that month, God provided for everything that we needed as it came. Um, and God has continued to be faithful. Um, I don't recommend um, getting that close uh, to, to rent at the end of the month. Uh, but, but, but the point is, uh, Jesus is faithful to provide for what we need. And when we're trusting him at the most basic levels of existence, yes, food, clothing, shelter, he's faithful to provide the stability himself um, that quenches that anxiety, that frees us to be generous people, to be selfless people, because we have something that endures forever in Jesus. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.